Welcome to Central Valley Politics. I am your host, Shannon Stevens, and we are joined today by Mayor Gary Soyseth of Turlock. Welcome, Gary. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Um, so for those of us who have not been following the mayoral race here in Turlock, what are the big issues that folks need to know about? Absolutely. So it ranges from house to house, but the main issues are water, roads, um, homelessness, and even just our budget and public safety. And so we'll, I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit later, but with water, unfortunately, we are in an unsustainable uh, uh, situation right now, uh, purely depend on groundwater. And unfortunately, with arsenic and nitrates and TCP and things that are in the ground, we can't stay there. Uh, there's no other option. And so you look for other sources, and that's the Tuolumne River. And so I'll talk a little bit about more about that, but also talk about some of the misinformation that's been out there about uh, where this money is going, are there cheaper alternatives or not. So we can talk about that more. As far as roads, um, we have a lot of money coming to the city of Turlock. You've seen a lot of orange cones around. Uh, it can be a nuisance. Uh, as a mayor, it's a lot of fun because people complain about the roads. And then when you're fixing them, they complain about you fixing them and inconveniencing <laughs> them. And then once they're fixed, they forget about it and they say, well, what about this road? Why aren't we going here? So I'll talk a little bit about uh, how we're going to try and get that money in here and effectively and efficiently get these projects off the ground. And then homelessness. It's a, it's, a, it's a balancing act because you want to make sure you're providing services for the least, the lost, and the lonely, those that really need it, but also making sure uh, that you're trying to find that smaller cr criminal element with the, that's within the homeless population that's maybe abusing small municipal codes, camping, uh, loitering, uh, camping within the uh, small business areas or private property. And so making sure you balance the need to be compassionate and make sure that you have the services for those that need it, but also making sure your small business owners and the, and the, the community itself are safe and can enjoy public spaces as well. Uh, and then finally, public safety. I can talk about that, about using our budget, because they are clumped together, using our budget resources to invest in our public safety, uh, into our police officer and firefighter positions to make sure that we have the right amount of safety to keep Turlock uh, the place that we all love to, to be. So we'll talk a lot about uh, other issues, I'm sure. Yes, yeah. but thank you. Thank you for that opener. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe Myra has a question for all you. Right. Okay, so you've donated your, uh, your mayoral salary to the fund that tackles transportation. Mm -hmm public arts and uniting the campus with the Turlock community. Do you have any similar uh, plans you would like to initiate within the Turlock community if you're reelected? Absolutely, so that's a great question. Uh, so when I first ran four years ago, I said that uh, I wanted to be here to serve the community in all aspects. And so I felt my mayoral salary was gonna do a lot more good uh, here on the campus in scholarships than it would be in my back pocket. So uh, I decided to uh, put that towards uh, different scholarships and different ideas that students had. So it's all been very organic from students. So the first one was tackling our bus routes. Uh, and so that was a student that wanted to reconfigure them. And we have to make sure that they service not only seniors and residents, but also students as well. And then we also tackled it to where now you can use your ID card to get on and you don't have to pay a fee when you go on the bus. Uh, the next one was a group of students did an app to try and get students from campus to downtown. And then following that, we actually used some of the uh, money towards an inclusivity summit, which led to a task force on diversity and tackling issues of race and different things in Turlock. And then finally, just recently, Columbia Park uh, has a new mural, thanks to the students in the art program, because we took the funds and we decided to um, have them engage the community and put a mural there. And all of these are not one-offs. These are all supposed to spark thought and continue on uh, with uh, community cohesion with the campus. And so um, I'm excited to see where it goes. I don't, I'm not the one that dictates the ideas. I kind of put out there, hey, we'd love to get a mural in Columbia Park or we have an issue with our bus routes. But at the same time, I let the students come up with ideas. And if I'm elected mayor, uh, I will continue to donate my salary and I will continue to see uh, this thought and this uh, cooperation between the campus and the city uh, continue. Thank you. Mm -hmm. All right, Lindsay. Lindsay. Um, so you made water management a signature issue since mm -hmm. you first were elected in 2014. Um, 
What is the current progress on the water project that will bring the water from the Tuolumne River to Turlock by uh, 2023? Absolutely. It's a great question. It's the question that honestly is asked the most when I go knock on doors because people realize that water is needed uh, not just for uh, our homes to make our grass greener, but it's also for our industries. We're dependent heavily on agriculture. And so when you see the Turlock Regional Industrial Park over on the west side of 99, that's only going to fill up with good paying jobs for a lot of students and others uh, if we have water, if we have that water resource to actually handle them. And so we have worked with the Turlock Irrigation District, the City of Ceres, and other partners uh, to make sure that we can get this surface water plant off the ground. We broke ground this August on a wet well construction. What is that? Uh, so basically, <laughs> it's, it's a well to uh, drill into the river to see the, the quality of the water and just basically see what we're dealing with, to see what we need to filter out. And so hopefully, if we can keep, continue on this track, we will have water in the pipes by 2022. Uh, it is a little scary, and I make it a habit not to talk too much about my opponent's positions. I let them explain them. But there are uh, the two main opponents are against this project. And, um, and what's troubling is they don't offer alternatives. And I was saying earlier uh, that our groundwater is going away. Uh, that's just a fact. We have six wells offline right now, six. And we, so that leaves us with 18. We need 23 to maintain our maximum use in Turlock. So if we have a fire, for example, and we have to hook up to a fire hydrant and we have to use a lot of water, we might not be in that situation because we have only 18 wells working. And so uh, you also look at those wells that are offline and say, well, fire them back up. They're offline, why not? Well, with arsenic and TCP and cancer-causing agents like that, you have to actually filter it out, and it's called wellhead treatment. It's a million dollars per well. So a million dollars times six plus $100,000 per well every year to maintain it. Yeah. This is a very expensive Band-Aid approach and something that Central Valley towns, unfortunately, are in a corner and having to deal with. And so we at Turlock, with this opportunity with the river water, we've got to take it. And so we look at it and people try and scare you with, you know, 100%, 200%, 300% increases. In reality, you take out groundwater, we're here, and you just add a little bit more money, you can actually get surface water. That little bit more money, on average per household, $16. So an extra $16 per month per household will get another source of water that will last for 50 years. That's huge. And so we have to remember that we just came out of a drought. Water is a precious commodity. It's something that uh, literally without it, our property values will get down. Our jobs won't be here. We really need to invest in it. And so I think that um, we really need to keep continuing with this project and hopefully get water and pipes by 2022. Thank you, Harry. Um, I know Harry has a couple questions for you, but just, just before we jump to that, um, can you tell us, I know that you are kind of a water expert, why is our water so bad? Mm -hmm. Well, so for example, let's take TCP. So TCP is a cancer-causing agent. There was a fumigant uh, that was used back in the day for sweet potatoes and for uh, uh, grapes and vineyards. And so when that's there, it's now actually trickling down to our groundwater where we've been pumping. And so now it's arrived. And so, unfortunately, because we have developed and we've developed over farmland that has used some of these things, it's getting into our water source. Uh, and then because of the state water board, uh, because they put at certain levels and say uh, one grain of sand in an Olympic-sized swimming pool, that's the amount of TCP we can have, cannot have in our groundwater, as soon as it's detected, you take your, your wall right off offline and you have to treat it. Right? So, so these, these standards are very high and so we have no, uh, no other op option but to comply and but to do the million dollars per wellhead on average treatment. Um, so again, it's because we've put ourselves in, in a corner with just one source of water, right? Because we don't have another one there. If we have another one there, like Tuolumne River, we can actually take that well offline and leave it. Let it, let it uh, dilute some of the issues, nitrates and arsenic, to where it gets to safe levels and then we can use it again. Rather than being forced right now to treat each one, because each one is valuable, each one we can't go without. And like I said, we drilled four new well, hole, or well holes to see if we could use them, 
and all four were bad. Quality and quantity weren't there. And so by continuing to stay with one sort of source and not diversifying, we keep seeing ourselves in this corner here in the Central Valley. And, and yes, there are other options like desal for ocean water. Well, that's a very costly option to pipe that over here, so that's off the table. So we go through the list and say, okay, what are the options? And really the only option is the Tuolumne River. That's our only other source of water that we could use. So I'm very glad that we actually got that deal off the ground and we can use that later. Thank you for taking the time mm -hmm. to explain that. Absolutely. All right, Harry. Um, so your background in agriculture is obviously very important here in Turlock. Uh, so how does that influence your approach in uh, city planning? Absolutely. So I really don't believe that, um, and some people like to pit farmers versus cities. I don't believe that that's the case here in Turlock. We understand the importance of agriculture. We understand what it means for our economy, what it means for our way of life, and what it means for our history. Right? We were founded by a railroad that came through, uh, and uh, honestly, you got people here for the gold rush, and then they were founded here, and then they were doing dryland farming, and then the irrigation district came in, folks uh, uh, um, bonded their land, you know, put through water, and then it was, went from dryland farming to actually permanent crop farming, and then what that did for, for high-value crops, very similar to what I worked with uh, in Afghanistan. And so, when you see the value of agriculture, there's an appreciation for it. So, for example, with the state water board taking uh, or wanting to take a lot of the river water for farmers, uh, you saw cities rise up and say, no, this could impact our way of life, similar to the project I just talked to you about for drinking water. That we're all in this together in the Central Valley. And so uh, there's a huge appreciation for the farming community from the cities, uh, and it also impacts the way we develop. Uh, you won't see us sprawling out. Uh, City of Talk has a great general plan that we're adhering to. You won't see us develop on the other side of Taylor. You will see us keep uh, residences away from industries on the uh, west side of 99. And you'll see us do a lot of infill projects. There's a great example of an infill, infill project right across the street from the college, right? Using those four-story dorms. And I know some folks didn't like that, but in reality, up and not out has been a policy that we really wanted to accept because we want to use less land uh, for people because we don't want to be sprawling out and we want to keep the quality there. And so that's a good example of what we should continue to do. Um, so, so yeah, so when, as a farmer, when I look at, at city planning, um, I also feel that we need to make sure we respect the land, that we make sure we keep prime land prime and keep it farming, but also make sure we develop in, the, in a strategic way uh, here in the city of Turlock. Thank you. Um, so we know this is a local election, Yes. but with today's news it seems quite important to ask, uh, what are your thoughts on President Trump's claim that he will issue an executive order to eliminate citizenship for babies born in the U.S.? Mm -hmm. So again, I don't weigh into national politics, so I try not to. Um, I think that uh, as you can read, a lot of scholars are talking about the 14th Amendment and um, that would be a big hurdle, uh, and so I'll let them kind of debate the um, accuracy of those statements. But I will say this, is that um, when I see folks, and I'm not talking about the president, I'm talking about in general, when I see folks that uh, uh, don't appreciate diversity, don't appreciate uh, other groups of individuals, um, I think that that tears at the fabric of, of a city, for example. Um, I think we should be accepting and, and excited about the diversity that, that a city brings, whether you be from a geographic difference or a cultural difference or a language difference or a religious difference. Uh, these differences actually strengthen us. They actually don't make us weaker. And so um, that's part of the reason uh, it, we uh, worked with President Jun for the Task Force for Inclusivity and Diversity, why we worked really hard to make sure we have a group of people to help Turlock, all residents and all students and anyone in Turlock, um, realize the potential and the positives of having a diverse community. And when things do flare up, like um, racist stickers, right, or you see some um, things that are... Um, I, I don't want to go into some of the specifics that we've seen in the community, but when you see things that are bad in the community, you have a group of people that that's their one focus of making sure that we address it 
and we learn from it and we move on. So um, again, you know, I'll let President Trump's comments be his own comments, but I think people will debate the accuracy with the 14th Amendment uh, going forward. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor Sosa. Um, okay, before we get into the mm -hmm. more difficult questions from our oh, students. Oh, this was not difficult? <laughs> okay, yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah, good. This oh. is the easy part. Yeah. So, um, as you know, this is a political communication mm -hmm. class, so we want to ask you a few questions mm -hmm. about your campaigning. Please. Um, and the first one, has your status as the youngest candidate for mayor affected your campaigning? Uh, yes and no. Um, What's interesting is, even though I'm the youngest, I'm expected to know all there is to know about social media and all the latest and greatest, <laughs> and I don't. Um, in fact, it was a college student who I brought on as my communications director um, who said, why don't you have an Instagram? And I was like, I have Facebook, right? I have a MySpace. <laughs> MySpace is perfect. No, I'm teasing. Um, and so, you know, trying to use all mediums uh, to communicate has been um, a challenge, but also a good thing. And so I think being younger, I'm, I'm way more open to accepting these things and kind of trying to figure out how Instagram works and what the story is versus a post and all these things. And I'm, I'm dating myself, I know. But, um, you know, at the same time, I, I feel like I bring a lot of um, energy to the table. I think my other two opponents are very energetic and they're out there working hard as well. But I think that I bring a different uh, dynamic because, again, my team is very young. Um, we're all we all sit around. We throw out really good ideas um, and we throw out bad ideas, and we say those are not the direction we're going to go. Being younger too, I think I'm more willing to try things. Um, like I said, I, I throw things out that out there and, and see what happens. And so our campaign is reflective of that. And uh, and again, campaigns. Uh, change rapidly. Four years ago is very different than today. And so uh, being able to communicate, uh, which is key uh, with uh, your residents, is is really this, the central part of your campaign, but that's also the part that can't stay static. You have to continually adapt to all the new mediums or see which medium is the most appropriate. And so having younger people, college students from Stanislaus, around me helps me adapt to that a little bit better. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Um, mm -hmm. In fact, our second question was, why are you better at social media? And you've already answered it. Yeah, so. it is Stanislaus State, pure, uh, through and through. It really, it, it really is. It, yeah. That's a pure and simple reason is because, um, you know, I've been, uh, you know, shown all these opportunities, shown all these cool things, and I was just like, hey, okay, let's go with it, you know? I stumble every once in a while, and the communication director says, really? Really? That's what you did? <laughs> I don't post anything inappropriate, but it's like, okay, we're going to shape that up a little bit and get that out, uh -huh. so, uh -huh. yeah. Great, thank you. Um, and so the last one about communication, uh, you made a decision to come out publicly mm -hmm. in June. And while we certainly understand that your sexuality has nothing mm -hmm. to do with your ability to govern, um, how has that affected your campaign, or if at all? And why mm -hmm. did you decide to make that move? Um, it's a deep question. So you, you were true about going going deep in the middle. <laughs> that works. Uh, no, you know this was a hard hard uh, hard decision for me to make. Um, and but it was a, one I wanted to make because I wanted folks to see the whole picture of me. I didn't feel like I was not being genuine for the previous three years. I didn't feel that I was hiding anything uh, because I wasn't. It's just like you said, it was, a, it was a private matter and I feel very much that that's a central part of who I am of, of um, being very conservative when it comes to um, sharing all those, those facts. But when you're the mayor and when you're the leader and you're talking to individuals in the community, you need to be you know, proud of who you are and you also need to express who you are. And I think that makes me more vulnerable, and, but it also makes me more open to individuals and the residents that I represent. Um, similarly, and, and it's not to, um, not to throw anything out there, but I also wanted to control the message because I didn't want folks to use this in a negative way and I knew that they were going to do this. Um, that is something that we've been dealing with for the last three and a half years um, where folks have wanted to turn this uh, very positive aspect of myself into a negative and I didn't want that to occur. And so I wanted to be the one to express the full picture of who I am, not only my sexuality, but who I am 
uh, as a Christian, as a farmer, as a uh, as a person that spent four years in Afghanistan, as a person uh, who um, you know struggles with being perfect, like every other human being in this in this <laughs> world, and uh, and a person that is trying my best as mayor. So um, it was a very uh, difficult decision, something that I weighed uh, very heavily, but I thought that was the right decision, and I'm very glad I did it. Thank you. Thank mm -hmm. you for sharing that. Right. So now on to our questions from the class. Okay. Okay, first let's talk safety. Currently there are 86 allotted police officers for more than 80,000 Turlock residents. Your introduction of a $16,000 signing bonus for those who join Turlock PD hasn't, re hasn't re recently improved ratio for policy to, mm -hmm. I mean police to residents. If reelected, what additional steps will you take as mayor to strengthen our police department? Yeah, so it's it's a difficult um, situation with police specifically. We can't compromise our standards. Um, one out of a hundred will actually pass through our background to actually become police officers. So we as policymakers are saying, okay, here here's what you have uh, for our police chief and for our, our um, recruiters. You have the signing bonus. You have a uh, million dollars worth of salary increases. So we've actually increased our salaries by almost 10% uh, for police officers to make it more competitive with other cities. Uh, we've made sure we have the canine unit. We brought that back. So we've invested in a canine unit and a SWAT team. All things that police officers, when they go join a force or a city, they look at and say, I want to be part of that force. They're doing uh, really neat things. They're part of those. These are opportunities to hone my skills. So we continue to give them the tools, but unfortunately, we just it's hard to find those quality applicants, which is why criminal justice majors and those that are Stanislaus uh, should really think about uh, joining the police uh, um, department here in Turlock, but also Modesto and the Sheriff's Department. All of us are struggling to find really good candidates. And so this is really actually not just a regional, but a statewide issue. We have a little, the issue is a little bit more compounded because we are close to Livermore and the Bay Area where they are paying way more. So that's why we did those large salary increases. But again, um, we will give the resources to the police department that they need to make sure that we can acquire the talent that's here, but we will not uh, compromise our standards, right? So we won't lower those standards just to get a body in there. Because you're talking about people that not only have weapons, but also people that are here to keep you safe and to uh, solve your crimes and to be, uh, you know, have integrity. And so we want to make sure that that's not compromised by just trying to get people in to fill the positions. We have really good quality applicants. And so far we have. Um, so the ones we have brought on board are extremely high quality and we'll continue to do that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, so driving around Turlock at night, I've noticed that neighborhoods and even main streets aren't that well lit. Mm -hmm. Do you consider that to be a safety issue? And if so, is it something that you plan to address if reelected as mayor? Yeah, absolutely. This is a great question. So um, lighting is a safety issue, uh, not only for motorists, but for pedestrians as, as well. And so we've been in discussions with uh, President John uh, and, and others here at the campus of trying to light up uh, uh, Monta Vista and, and Kroll in different areas around campus specifically, because we have a lot of people walking. And that's, um, that's replacing a lot of our bulbs into LEDs. So one is energy savings, but two, uh, these are brighter. And so we're able to uh, light up areas. We're lighting up parks, uh, for example. And that's specifically because we want to be able to see what's going on at night. Uh, you aren't talking about moms with their kids playing on the swing set at night in parks. But at one in the morning, we want our officers to be able to drive by and be able to see exactly what's going on in those parks. So um, if you do see an area of town that is dimly lit, uh, we want to know about it. 
please tell us because we need the eyes and ears on the ground to tell us when there's a dimly lit area or an unsafe area. And we'll send our team out and we'll replace those light bulbs. Um, we'll actually replace them and we'll do it with LEDs. Again, energy savings, but also we have different wattages that we use to help uh, with safety uh, and also for in specific intersections. Neighborhood uh, lights maybe get we have a little less wattage. Uh, we don't need it looking like an airport when we're out there. But at the same time, if you see something, please say something, and we will get that fixed. Okay. Thanks. And homelessness is a yeah. serious issue in Turlock. So what concrete solutions have you introduced that provide mental health care and not just punishment for those that are homeless? Absolutely. So I said in the beginning, uh, it's homelessness is not a crime. Um, and unfortunately, within the homeless community, uh, there is a criminal element sometimes. There's sometimes a lot of homeless on homeless uh, crime. There's some issue, issues with people that continue to break laws and rules, uh, whether it be drinking in the park, smoking in the park, um, camping in the park, whatever it might be. And so we've actually worked with our service providers, so the Turlock Gospel Mission specifically, to increase the um, contract with them so that we can actually have a, a navigator. This navigator is an individual that goes out and talks to individuals, up to 30 per week, and says, what's what's the issue? What, what do you need help with? Is it you can't get your medication in Modesto, because that's where the county seat is? Um, is it you have substance abuse uh, issues? What is it we can help you with? And of those individuals, we try and navigate them into the services, whether it be We Care, Salvation Army, Talk Gospel Mission, we try and get them to those right sources. Similarly, sometimes he's called out because a small business owner has someone, they say, they're using drugs on my doorstep. And so this person, instead of using police force, comes out and talks to them and explains to them. You can't be sitting here, you know, drug use is not allowed or, or drinking in public is not allowed, and has a conversation with them and addresses their issues. But that's just the start. We are also working at the county level uh, with uh, Focus on Prevention, uh, which allows us to uh, address the root issues and work as a region on getting individuals the help they need. Uh, but you also you have issues, right, of, of actual capacity. We have about 98 beds in Turlock and about 200 individuals that are homeless. So you have that, that delta, that, that difference. And so how do you get those individuals into services or into beds that they need? And so that's why working with the county is important. Uh, we do need to look at a low barrier shelter. When I say low barrier, it's a place where people can come and uh, there aren't strings attached to coming there, right? Like a lot of beds require um, you to be sober, require you to use, uh, sit through religious sermons or whatever it might be. So we have to have a place where these individuals can go uh, so they can receive the help and get off the streets, uh, but also work with the region. Uh, because again, if Turlock takes a hardline approach, they're just going to go over to Sirius. Or Modesto takes a hardline approach, they're going to come to Turlock. We need to regionally look at this and not just try and move people around, but actually address the root issue. Um, so those are just some of the things. We have uh, increased our, our laws, uh, the strength of our laws. Um, you see a lot of people storing their private property in the public right-of-way, meaning you go to parks and you see them piling their their uh, property, which some people think is garbage, but it's their belongings. And so we've, we've lessened the time that they have to move it once we say, you can't do this because you can't, from seven days a week to 24 hours. And so we tag it, and then if after 24 hours we then store it per law for 90 days, and then 90 days, no cost, can come get it back. But basically, we can't have our parks and our public spaces become a, a private storage area. Uh, we need these public spaces to be open for the entire public and to be safe for the entire public. Um, it is hard to go knock on doors with people that say Denaire Park is a park I've looked at from my front door and I've never taken my daughter to because it is overrun with individuals. That needs to stop and that needs to change. Um, having said that, it's not that easy. So we continually need to look at our laws, increase, our lo uh, increase the strength of our laws, make sure that we're getting those folks that need the help, get them the help. 
but also make sure there's a rule of law that's enforced for those that don't want the help and are just creating uh, issues. We need to address that in a different way. Definitely. Um, Mayor before mm -hmm. Gary asks the next question, when you're talking about um, working with the county to solve some mm -hmm. of those issues in a positive way, um, does that mean getting funding from the county mm -hmm. as well as planning? Yeah, so absolutely. So one of the things I actually was at is a uh, county supervisor's meeting where I spoke to, um, we were talking about whether or not to declare an emergency on beds, right? When I talked to you about that change, how many people are homeless versus how many beds you have. Um, by declaring an emergency on beds, that actually freed, uh, would potentially free up $11 million to come to the county. And that would, a portion of that would come to, to uh, the city of Turlock. Similarly, there's other opportunities like uh, the downtown streets program. Um, that's what the city of Modesto and actually the city of Turlock and the county would, would help a little bit. But basically, it's having those people that live on the streets uh, clean up the streets that they live in and parks that they live in. They get a stipend. It's not cash, but a stipend for the needs that they have. And it gives them the job skills and helps them get back into uh, the groove of, of um, society where they can start working, providing for themselves. These are partnerships, right? These are partnerships with Modesto and with Turlock or the county that I think yield better results than if Turlock just decides to look at ourselves, go it alone, try and figure out how to fix the problem on our own. Um, having said all this, by the way, it's not the be all end all. There's always new solutions that we need to look for. There's always uh, new partners that we need to try and bring to the fold. And I truly believe that it's not the government that's really should be driving this. We are definitely a facilitator and we are definitely in a, in a position where we have uh, the authority to go in and, and get these programs off the ground, but our service providers are really the ones that are the backbone to this, and they're the ones that are uh, driving these issues, and so that's who we really need to work with. Thanks. Yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And related to the issue of safety, we have some questions about finance and management. Yeah, absolutely. In 2017, the C city of Modesto passed the measure, measure T, which was to impose a 10% tax on the cannabis businesses. Mm -hmm. um, do you think following uh, the city of Modesto is a positive approach to the attempts to increase Turlock's re revenue? So I try to make it a habit never to follow Modesto on anything. Right? <laughs> uh, uh, no, I'm teasing. There are big brothers up there. I'm, te I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, um, you know, this is a complex issue. And so actually I need to take a step back and say where we are at Turlock on cannabis and then talk about specifically about this taxation question. Uh, so about a year and a half ago, um, we decided to assert our right as a city to make sure that we don't just fall under California law, that we continue to have local control over um, cannabis in our community. And so we uh, decided to vote to outlaw, specifically in Turlock, right? Um, city of Ceres and Mass or others did not, right? So it is around us. Uh, but we did that not as a period at the end of the sentence. We did it because we want to preserve, like I said, the local control. And we've actually have two council members out there currently they're looking at different uh, cannabis uh, grow operations and also distribution operations to see what the impacts are on the local communities. Look at safety um, when it comes to securing those facilities. Where are they located? What is the real impact on public safety? Is there an impact on public safety? What are the impacts on our schools? What are the impacts on our, our communities? And so they're looking at this and they're looking at these examples that are just up the road at Ceres and other places. And then we will bring back that information. We're gonna bring it back uh, at the beginning of the year Yes, you guys are aware there's an election in between now and then. Uh, so if I'm still mayor, that will be agendized and that's something we're going to bring back their findings. Uh, but I don't want to talk too much because it will be an item that we will be discussing. And just so that if my council members are watching this, they don't hear my positions on it. But I am very curious to hear what they have to say. I do have a philosophy that 
uh, or I adhere to a philosophy that you can't put your head in the sand uh, with these issues, that it is all around us. Uh, to act as if cannabis is not in our community uh, is false. It, we do know for a fact that Turlock residents are going to Ceres and other places uh, to purchase and then bring it back into Turlock. And so we do need to have some sort of regulation there. At the same time, going to your question about taxation, I do think it's important to offset any impacts, if any, that the cannabis industry has on a community. And taxation is one way uh, to do that. But here's the deal, it needs to be at the right level. Because I really truly believe that by um, the intent for California law was to curb the black market of cannabis and, and illegal drugs. But if you raise that cannabis taxation level so high, you're not gonna have the impact on the black market. The black market will remain. And so if you actually have, you strike a balance, and that's where you bring in the experts to tell you how to strike that balance or what the level is, uh, that's, that's what's important. So we really do need to tackle it from that angle of taxation. So if it is legalized and it is taxed, we need to make sure it's at the right level uh, that still does have that impact on the black market. Does that make sense? Yes, definitely. Yeah. definitely. These are complicated issues, but I yeah, appreciate yeah. the questions. Uh -huh. Thank you. And also, according to the Modesto B and the Turlock Journal, uh, Turlock's general fund reserve mm -hmm. are set to be spent within mm -hmm. the next three years. Um, what role do you play in the depletion of the fund? Mm -hmm. And do you plan to change your approach to the city's finances moving forward? Yeah. Yeah, so absolutely. So let's talk about our finances, talk about complicated. Uh, but when I came into office, we looked at our finances, and some people say our reserves were at $15 million. When actually you look at that, about half of the reserves before I came here, a lot of those were earmarked for capital improvements and different projects. So a lot of those weren't just free money sitting there. They were allocated that you couldn't touch for other projects. They just clumped them together. And so when you get, bring that in and you take those away, you're actually you were hovering at, uh, at a certain amount, right? And then you took that amount and you actually, we took some of it and we took uh, about $3 million in, a, in a, um, a building sale and we took about two some odd million to pay off some toxic debt, right? So we took some money that was about, uh, about $5.5 million, paid off that debt, which was costing us about 7% interest, and that will actually lead to an increase over 10 years of $6 million, right? That's what we'll save by paying off the debt. But we allowed that money to save. And so from, from the time I was in office, 6.9 million is roughly where uh, we were at the end of uh, well, fiscal year of 2015 to uh, just a year ago, we went up to, uh, to $11 million. So we increased by 4 million. So you increase that money. Well, why were we increasing it? Why were we doing that over three years? We were doing that because our MOUs for our staff, all of our salaries, were coming up, right? There are people that were coming up, police, uh, you had your management groups, all these groups. So you needed to save because we needed, knew we had to reinvest in these groups. These are groups that took massive cuts back in 2007 for the recession. And they were just now getting back to the point where they're at pre-recession levels of salary. And I talked to you about police. It is paramount that we keep police uh, officers here. It is hard to get them uh, into, the, into the door, but it's also hard to retain them. So it was paramount that we took those, that money and we actually reinvested in them. So we took a million dollars and we reinvested them. We took a million dollars, put it into a radio system, and another million dollars uh, that we put into other various uh, union categories. And that was because we, did, we needed to make sure we maintained our talent pool within the city of Turlock. Our staffing levels were here. And so we've, we built up the reserves to then use them and reinvest them. Now, if we stay here and don't do anything and don't look for other revenue sources, then yeah, we'll, we'll go down three, in three years. We'll have zero reserves. But that's not what we're going to do. We're working on border development. We're working on border development where folks like Ford, for example, that's just right on the north side of uh, Taylor Road, we get 0% of the sales tax. Before I got here, that was the agreement that was worked out with this, the county. We disagree with that, so we're going to assert our right to try and get uh, a certain percentage more, which will bring in revenue. 
Uh, we're looking at our hotels, which we continue to have hotels come in, La Quinta, uh, Hampton, and you see all of them coming in because Turlock's a destination place. We have a TOT on there, and the TOT is actually at 9%, but it could be, and the county's looking at this, at 12%. Just by increasing 3% on our visitors, not on residents, on our visitors, uh, that could yield us between five and $750,000. Uh, per year to come in our journal fund for services that they use. So you look at all these issues, not to mention taxation that you just talked about for marijuana. And I don't want to say that, or excuse me, cannabis, I've, I've learned. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to say that's a be all end all, but at the same time, these are all sources of revenue that we're all exploring to come in. But here's the philosophy, and here's what you'll hear, uh, and I don't want to speak ill of my opponents, but here's what you'll hear when they come in and talk to you, is that this is the mayor's budget, and this is the mayor's uh, prerogative to go spend down our reserves. Well, these were all 5-0 votes. These are all 5-0 votes. The entire council realized it was imperative that we kept our police services here. We had a police chief over and over saying that uh, we were going to lose our officers if we did not pay them more. And that was the only place to go uh, uh, for, for uh, funds. And so, you know, I'm not going to sit here and hoard away our reserves, you know, for the rainy day that happens in 5 to, you know, 10 years when my police chief is telling me the rainy day is happening at the police department right now. I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to make sure our streets are safe. I'm going to make sure we reinvest in police officers and keep them here. And then I'm going to go out and fight for other funds, right? Similarly, the general fund is something that we need to protect and we need to use it for certain uses. And over 80% of it's used for police and fire, right? So we need to make sure the general fund stays that way. So when you hear candidates talk about using general fund dollars for roads, that's not where your road money should come from. Your road money is already being spent. You guys are already paying for it. It's just in Sacramento and Washington, D.C. You have to go fight for it, right? And that's what we did in Fulkerth Road. Fulkerth Road is a $12 million project that we fought for $6 million, and we brought it back. So my point is I'm not going to go after a fund that 80% of its work you know, used for public safety when there's other funds for these projects. Uh, you look at West Main. West Main is an over $7 million project. You know what $7 million would do to the general fund if we took it out for roads? There's no way. We can't, we can't continue down that road. So my point is... The budgeting is very, um, you gotta look at it where the, the money is going, and there's a lot, a lot of alarmist rhetoric, and you know, in three years we'd be bankrupt if we didn't do anything, and if we kept uh, hiring. Well, we're going to make sure we find other uh, revenue uh, sources. But like I said, when I have a, a police chief telling me that the rainy day is occurring at the police department now, that we're losing individuals, that there are people that are going to Livermore, uh, even Manteca, for other positions, I am not going to sit there and say, well, let me keep hoarding this money in, in the reserves while we have you, uh, you know, struggle for other officers. I'm not going to do that. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you. And so you mentioned briefly uh, some road projects. Mm -hmm. um, so what areas of Tarlock are you prioritizing for road work? And should we expect any major changes in the future? Yeah. So Measure L is the main funding stream for, for local roads. And so uh, that's the Measure L project that is West Main. Right now you're seeing it from Highway 99 all the way to our downtown. And it's about a $7 million project from, West, uh, from Measure L. That's locked in. We can't change that. West Main, East Avenue, Golden State, all of those are all the uh, worst roads that are used the most. And that's a locked in formula because a lot of voters, when they pass Measure L, we made sure it was a black and white, these are the roads you're going to uh, get paved, and this is when they're going to get paved. Because everyone thinks of government as baiting and switching, right? You said you were going to use this money for this, and then it's used for this. So we said black and white, these are the roads. So we can't really debate where that money is going. What we can debate 
is SB1. So you know Proposition 6 is on there to recall the gas tax. Um, but if it's not recalled, we have a list of, uh, of roads that we're going to prioritize. Uh, the money that's already been accumulated, it's Headstrom, Wayside, other roads like that. We have traffic signalization projects, all these projects that we're going to be working on. But our goal was, uh, like I said, to use the most traveled roads in the worst condition. Um, you know, there are roads out of zero out of 100, that's the pavement condition index, out of zero to 100, there's parts of West Main that were at 19. 19 out of 100. That's more than a failing grade. That's something that you would not be uh, taking home to mom on a, on a test from Stanislaus State. Uh, something that, that we needed to fix. And so these are the roads that we're, we're tackling, but we'll also continue to go leverage federal and state dollars, right? Monta Vista was another example that just got repaved. In fact, I think they're striping it here soon. But from gear to the Denaire border, that was all federal funds, zero general funds. And in fact, I challenge folks when they go drive by these projects, there's big signs that say where the funding sources come from. There's a little box in the right-hand corner, or right-left corner, right, no, not really, <laughs> right-hand corner on the bottom. Uh, they say general fund dollars, and it's zero. And that's almost every project that we've done in the last three years. And that's a good thing, because like I said, what do we use those general fund dollars for? Predominantly public safety, right? So we've got to make sure we use the uh, sources that are out there. We uh, actively go out and get those, that money and come back. You know, what would have happened if we didn't go up to Sacramento and talk to the California Transportation Commission to try and get $6 million for Fulker Throat. What happens if we didn't have a shovel-ready project that had been engineered and ready to go, and as soon as that pot of money was open, we pounced on it, convinced them that this was going to be good for economic development, which it was. It can handle about 1,000 trucks per day once it's expanded. We, we were able to get that money. If we didn't do that, we'd be footing the whole bill of $12 million, right? And so you sacrifice other roads for that. So this is my philosophy on road funding and, uh, and then also where the money should go. Thank you. Thank you. And according to the Modesto Bee and the Turlock Journal, there have been rumors of problems within City Hall mm -hmm. because of your management style, okay. uh, which has been described alternatively as micromanaging mm -hmm. or as bullying. Um, how would you like to explain that? Yeah. Well, I, I disagree with it. You know, I, I am no bully. Um, I am someone that uh, that tries to, to study the facts, know the facts, and come prepared uh, for conversations. Um, I think that I have a vision uh, for the city of Turlock and I sit there and I, I work with staff. I roll up my sleeves literally and figuratively. Uh, we are short staff and so um, I'm not a mayor that's just going to go open my packet twice a month and sit there and look at what's before me and vote yes on everything. Um, I'm going to ask a lot of questions uh, and it will make some people uncomfortable when they're uh, you know, having to answer some of the questions but at the same time I am no bully um, and in fact I think that if you look at uh, the way I've run my campaign for example um, it shows that, that I'm not bullying, and that I take a lot. I take a lot on the chin. Um, there's a lot of people that have called me uh, a child, um, you know, qu quoting Shakespeare and saying, what was the land governed by a child? And it's referencing me. Um, that has called me a tyrant, a bully. Um, all these names, and that's just one opponent that has said those. Um, it's just not constructive. It's just not constructive, and, and you see how I return in, in kind uh, with not picking up that rock and throwing it, throwing it back. And so, um, you know, I've always been taught, not to use another analogy, but to judge a fruit, uh, the tree by its fruit. And, uh, and I think that you can see by my campaign that we've worked really hard to stay as positive and as focused as possible. But um, again, you know, these are, um, these are just rumors and I, I disagree with them. Um, and, and that's that. Definitely. And can I just ask mm -hmm. on, um, 
why some of the positions in City Hall mm -hmm. have been have have had problems being filled mm -hmm. and also some people resigning, mm -hmm. I believe, from certain positions? Yeah, so again, this is another campaign tactic and a political tactic. Um, we look back through uh, because I hear these rumors and I'm a facts-based person. I like to go back and look at facts. Are we losing people quicker than any other city or quicker than other times in, in Turlock history? And the answer is no. You know, you look at management, you look at pre-recession levels in 2008, um, when I looked at the management group, um, how many people left? Seven that year. And I say pre-recession because during the recession, everyone stayed put because there were no jobs anywhere. Uh, so it's a little different. Uh, but you have, you have seven. And you look on average per, per year while I've been mayor, seven. You know, you look at uh, officers, nine. You know, you look at every, nine per year, or excuse me, in 2008. Per year since I've been here, nine. So you look at the, the similars, there, there's no big uh, changes. Uh, but there are changes because people do retire. People do take promotions in other uh, other cities. As the economy increased, uh, other jobs got opened up, and so people were were moving around. So you know, it, it's interesting because I actually was uh, told that 450 people have left since I was been there. Um, that included part-time lifeguards who went off to college. Um, and apparently, I'm just such a terrible mayor that these part-time lifeguards didn't want to stay around uh, for me. So it, it just it gets a, to a little bit to be a laughable issue um, because again, I'm not down there enough. Um, I'm not. Uh, I don't have the, the energy enough. I respect um, the city manager uh, uh, form of government uh, where there's only one employee that the council has and the entire council, and that's the city manager, and then also the city attorney with hire and, hire and fire. I think that other than that, the city manager is the one that makes these decisions. Going back to some of the jobs uh, that have left, been left unfilled, um, we have all filled those positions. It's just there's also a restructuring that other the other council might want to make and so that's why we've held off on the city attorney which we have a very capable firm doing it right now letting the new council make that decision do they want a firm or do they want a person and similarly what they're going to do for development services do we want to split that up do we want our city engineer to be one person with development manager so one position is a two um, there's there's a couple forks of the road that need to be made but we weren't going to make those decisions before a new council was coming in and that's a, honestly that's a position that I might not be on that council to make Right, but we respect voters enough to wait and, and have make those decisions. Thank you. Thank you. All right, and finally, with the election on Tuesday, is there anything you would like to say to the undecided voters or the people who will be deciding to stay at home? Absolutely. Oh, staying at home? No, don't stay at home. Uh, hopefully, everyone's registered to been registered to vote. Uh, but this is a really crucial election, and it's something I was talking to some students about. In that um, some folks feel like they're from Modesto, um, which I probably lost all your vote if you re-registered because I was slamming Modesto <laughs> earlier, making a joke. Uh, but Modesto or Houston or other communities, but they don't realize the importance that being here in Turlock uh, it, it makes. You know, when you make the the vote. So if you are registered here in Turlock, uh, what your city uh, government does does impact you and does impact you when it comes to transportation services, where we spend our money on different things. And so um, definitely get out and vote, research the issues, um, research myself, uh, research uh, my social media pages, but also my website, uh, a lot more w robust in some of my policy areas. But um, definitely get out and vote, don't, don't stay at home. That would be a travesty. Um, you know, even when I was off at Berkeley, or even when I was in Afghanistan for four years, I made sure to get my absentee ballot. Uh, my mom would stick it in my mail, get over to Afghanistan, and stick, stick it back in the mail. Um, because I thought it was really important uh, to, to weigh in. Um, and again, it's, that's just not the local level. You know, there's national level things that we also need to pay attention to. There's propositions uh, that we need to educate ourselves on. And even if you feel a race is already um, in the books, right? Some folks say Governor Newsom's going to be the governor regardless, or you know what, or Senator Feinstein. No, still research the the, uh, the individuals and still cast your vote um, because I think it's really important. 
And so I would love to get the vote of every Stanislaus student. That's what I'm trying to do. Uh, but at the same time, I would rather see uh, everyone out there voting because I think that, that would uh, send a message that the campus community itself is not complacent and that you care about Turlock and you care about where we're going. And so that's the message I'd like to see. That was a beautiful message. I want to Hopefully. see that too. All right, yeah. All yeah. of us, all of us. All right, Mayor Sosa, thank you so much for your time. Is there anything else that you would like to add? I know we, we hit you with a yeah. ton of questions today, <laughs> but did we miss anything? Is there any closing argument you'd like to make? No, just that I want to thank you guys for having me. Um, I love being on campus. Um, when I first, like I said, I, I came back uh, as USDA advisor, uh, and I, I, my first job was here as an adjunct professor uh, when I came here in the political science department. And just to get assimilated back into the Trillock norms after living about four years in Afghanistan, uh, it was the students that helped me. I mean, literally, I had to ask them all how, how to use an iPhone because I didn't know how to do it. Uh, but it's this campus community that just, I, I love coming on here. And you're, you're definitely an island uh, in a good way within Turlock because you come on here and uh, there's so much free thought, there's so much uh, you know, you know, open-mindedness, and there's, there's such a great community here. And so we're really proud of the relationship that Turlock has with Stanislaus State. I really don't think it's ever been stronger, not saying it was weak before, but I think it's never been stronger uh, with the leadership of President John and all the students you know, tackling issues in the community. I love when I see students come to council meetings. I love when students get, get riled up about issues uh, in the community because it's their community too. It's your community too. And so we want to hear from you. Um, and just like I said, I'm just so proud to, to uh, be the mayor with uh, Sisu Stanislaus and all the other mayors are still kicking themselves that they couldn't get you guys back in the 1950s or whenever <laughs> Stanislaus State was established. I still feel very lucky to be the mayor of Turlock. And uh, I'll be the mayor for another seven days or uh, four years in seven days. We'll see. All yeah. right. Well, good luck to you, Mayor Soyseth. Thank and you again, so much. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, one quick reminder to our viewers. Uh, this production is a part of our political communication class here at Stan State. That means that the opinions shared here are not the opinions necessarily of the university, of its staff, of its administration. Um, this is purely a class communication effort and we hope that you have enjoyed it and have enjoyed this opportunity to hear from our serving mayor. Uh, and it's very important that you all get out and vote up and down that ballot. So we hope to see you at the polls November 6th. Yes, next Tuesday. <laughs> next next Tuesday. Tuesday. See you tomorrow. Yeah. All right. Excellent. <laughs> excellent. Thank you and have a great week. All right. Hey, thanks, Thank guys. You.